Section 7 of Going Abroad, Some Advice. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Michael Fascio. Going Abroad, Some Advice by Robert Lucy. Chapter 5, Bicycle Touring, Part 2. Comment on Countries. Great Britain. No customs duty on bicycles. Bicycle outfitting shops will be found in any of the ports at which the tourist may land. Liverpool, indeed, is held by some experienced travelers to be a better place than London for shopping. If you land at Queenstown for the Irish tour, go to Cork for what you may need. Ireland is wet. Prepare for showers and steady rains. In those European countries in which the high ground is on the west side, more rain falls there than on the east side. Manchester has an average annual rainfall of 36 inches, where that of London is 25, Glasgow 44, and Edinburgh 38. In Scotland, the wettest months are July and August, the worst time of the whole year being about the middle of August. In May, east and west winds are equally common in Scotland. From June to August, the proportion of west wind increases till it blows more than twice as often as the east wind. In England, the prevailing winds are westerly, so that it is much easier to tour toward London from the west than to go west from London. The Midland countries give the most level riding, and the Fen country from Cambridge to the sea has few slopes. The southern coast is hilly, and for a tour through Devonshire and Cornwall stout legs are necessary. The Isle of Wight is about all up and down, yet a delightful spot. Wales, though mountainous, has a good deal of level road, with some long coasts that are exceedingly enjoyable. Crowded streets are the rule for some miles from the centre of London. Avoid them, if you choose, by using the train, or, if it suits your plans, take a Thames steamboat upriver as far as Kew, or downriver where you will, being prepared to pay twice as much for the carriage of your bicycle as for that of yourself. If you push your wheel on a London sidewalk, you are reasonably sure to get arrested. Channel Islands no duty on bicycles. These islands are British possessions. The difference between their administration and that of England itself concerns the bicyclist in but one particular, viz. the provision in Guernsey that every bicycle shall carry a number on a tin rectangle hung beneath the saddle, and a jingle bell. The hotel proprietor furnishes these at a cost of six cents for each bicycle. If there is a law requiring the jingle bell in Jersey, it is not enforced, and no numbers are required for tourists' wheels. The riding on these islands is hilly, but the roads are good and the scenery is charming. They have very mild winters, and wheeling over them is attractive at any time of year. France. Duty. 220 francs for each 100 kilos, about 25 cents a pound. This duty is not collected from a member of the CTC or the TCF who accompanies his wheel and presents his ticket of membership for the current year at any seaport or frontier town. For brevity's sake, I will not in each case repeat the statement that LAW members have CTC privileges when they have arranged therefor. Wheelmen who are not club members may be required to pay the duty, usually $7 or $8, get a receipt for it, and collect it at the point where they may leave the country. But the law is not uniformly enforced. When the deposit is made, a lead seal is attached to the bicycle, with a custom house mark stamped on it. Notice that in order to avoid the deposit, the club member must accompany his wheel, and he must present himself to the customs officers, not leaving the matter to anybody else. 
If I understand it aright, the French officials discriminate between the wheelman entering the country for the first time in any given year and the wheelman who is re-entering it. Whether Frenchman or foreigner, club member or not, if you leave France with the intention of returning presently, you must have a lead seal attached to the bicycle as you cross the frontier in order to avoid the payment of duty when you return. Quite separate from the duty is the annual tax imposed on bicycles. All foreigners who declare at the port of entry that it is not their intention to remain in France more than three months are exempted from this tax. On payment of twelve cents, they get a certificate to this effect, which they must show on demand of any official. Nobody ever asked to see mine. A CTC membership ticket may be useful to back up an assertion that one is a tourist. The law requires a nameplate on each bicycle. Lacking one of metal, the tourist can make a visiting card answer or a plain card with name and address written on it, tied to the steering head. The roads of France, taken as a whole, are the best in the world, but this does not mean that it has no bad roads, or that from one end of the country to the other riding is of the cinder track variety. In the macadam surface there is much flinty material, hard on tires, and the surface itself is often so warm that the stones give an incessant vibration, which sometimes make the American long for the layer of dust that forms a sort of cushion on the roads with which he is familiar. The main highways are military roads, often running as straight as an arrow with utter disregard of hills and valleys, so that although long hills may not be met with more than twice a day, the slopes are almost continuous where the country is rolling. Many American roads, and few French roads, follow water courses. The rarity of brooks and ponds is noticeable to the New Englander. The great merit of the French road is its freedom from ruts, and its quick drying properties. The fastest riding we did was in an hour on a French road begun when a heavy thunder shower had not wholly passed. Some of the highways out of Paris are paved with cobblestones for miles. The maps show which these are. Dodge them by taking the train to a suburban station or where a steam tram makes it possible. Put your wheel aboard and ride to the end of the route. For instance, much the best way to start down the Seine Valley is to take the tram to Saint-Germain. Some tourists advocate taking the train to Paris from Havre or Boulogne, or wherever one lands, if he has come direct from the States, on the ground that the sea voyage has left him in poor condition to start touring at once, and that probably some outfitting in Paris will be desirable. Yet the road between Paris and the sea is charming. The beauties of the Valley of the Seine would be as famous as those of the Rhine or Thames if passenger steamers could ply between Rouen and the capital. Brittany is more picturesque than Normandy. On the whole, I enjoyed the Valley of the Loire more than either. In Normandy and Brittany, the usual breezes are from the west. On the other hand, we found a strong wind blowing down the Loire from northeast to southwest, almost steadily for a month. From Paris, then, one would be better go down the Loire to Angers or Nantes, and thence back along the northern Breton coast. In the Rhone Valley is found the powerful and distressing wind known as the Mistral, violent, dry, bitterly cold. It rages most in the winter, but at intervals through the rest of the year makes wheeling against it a painful task for days at a time. So ride down the Rhone Valley from Lyon, and it is a northwest wind. Try to plan your riding along the coast of southern France and the Riviera, from west to east. The region southwest of Paris is dull, till you reach the Jura, and the prevailing winds there come from the direction of Switzerland. 
So, if you start from Paris, unless you care to ride as far as Fontainebleau, better make by rail the whole distance to Dijon or Macon. The best month for touring the Riviera is April, northern Normandy May, southern Normandy and Touraine September. Brittany is the coolest region you will find in France in midsummer. It is undeniably hot in France in the middle of a summer day. The summer of 1899 was undoubtedly exceptional, and perhaps in no other summer would we have gone through July and August without a single rainy day. But I am convinced that though a midsummer tour in France is far better than no tour at all, yet next time I would choose a cooler country for midsummer riding. The small degree to which rain annoys the tourist in France may be judged from the following averages of the rainy days in Paris in each month of the last three years. January, 5. February, 5. March, 6. April, 8. May, 6. June, 4. July, 3. August, 3. September, 2. October, 2. November, 4. December, 4. Belgium. Duty on bicycles 12% ad valorem. This will be returned to the tourist on leaving the country if he crosses the frontier at a custom house and presents his receipt. Club members have concessions, but their conditions change so from time to time that perhaps, when this is read, new regulations will be in force. The smallest steamboats have the shrillest whistles, and little Belgium is very noisy when cyclists are concerned. At this writing, members of the CTC and TCF are allowed to take their wheels into Belgium free on exhibition of membership card, which must bear a photograph of the member. No formality is required of members in leaving the country. The man who pays the duty when he enters Belgium should give some forethought to his departure if he wants his money back without danger of delay. If he is to leave for Paris by rail, he would better write two or three days ahead to the customs official at Quevy or Erquilines, according to his route, and inform him as to which train he will use. The official will stamp the receipt, and if he finds the wheel described in it in the baggage van, he will refund the money without delay. It is better, however, to ride your wheel out of Belgium if you can do so without inconvenience. Belgium has many excellent roads, but it also has many miles of cobble stones. Its officials are apt to be officious, and taken altogether it is not one of the most attractive countries for bicyclists. Holland. Duty. 5% ad valorem. Tourists enter without having to pay duty or make deposit, and no bother need be apprehended. The brick-paved roads are criticized by some tourists, extolled by others. Many of them are now provided with side paths for bicycles. One is allowed to ride along the towpaths of the canals, and as the country is as flat as a table, it is the lazy wheelman's paradise. Great elms shade many of the roads for miles. The Dutch Cycling Club has put up plentiful signposts so that the complete ignorance of the language on the part of almost every foreigner is not likely to be troublesome. Some English-speaking person will be found at most of the hotels, and it is a language understood in most of the better shops. In the matter of living expenses, be prepared to find it the costliest country on the continent. Also, be prepared for more danger of punctures by hobnails than almost anywhere else, and for a good deal of wet weather. Switzerland. Duty, 70 francs for each 100 kilos, about 6 cents a pound. Members of the CTC get relief from paying this by securing a special cycle ticket from the secretary, 
which must bear the member's photograph, preferably carte de visite size. Members of the TCF get the same relief by presenting their membership tickets, but these too must bear the photograph, countersigned, by the member. No formality is required of club members on leaving the country. Bicyclists who are not club members get back the duty on departure by presenting the receipt to the customs official at the frontier. The best time for wheeling in Switzerland is in June and the first fortnight in July. The days are then at their longest, more of an advantage in mountainous than in flat countries. It is no longer cold, and yet the heat has not become oppressive. The valleys of the Alps are hot in midsummer in the middle of the day, however cold may be the passes and the heights. Then, too, the landlords have not put their prices to top-notch, as they do after July 14, when the hordes of tourists come. Nor have the roads, freshly put in condition, yet been cut up or made powdery by the diligence and the summer traffic. But Switzerland, all through the summer, is delightful, and strange as it may seem, the bicyclist, who better than anybody else appreciates the meaning of the phrase, the ups and downs of life, will find it one of the best touring grounds in Europe. Though Switzerland is all hills, there are many miles of fairly level road. Along Lake Lucerne, for instance, with Mount Rigi on one side and Mount Pilatus on the other, both rising sharp from the water's edge, and the southern end of the lake so walled by heights that the road has to be carried along by frequent tunnels, this road, the Axenstrasse, is nearly as level as the drives in Central Park. Around Lake Geneva, too, and up the Rhone Valley, the roads are surprisingly level. The Engadine, with beauties among the most remarkable in Europe, is traversed by a road sixty miles long, and a mean altitude exceeding that of the loftiest peak in Great Britain, yet with so little gradient that one can ride from end to end without dismounting. Though from the highest to the lowest point of the road you drop more than two thousand feet, yet the drop is so evenly distributed over so many miles that you can ride from Martinsbruch in the lower Engadine to Maloja in the upper without difficulty. On the passes it is all up or all down, but as their roads were built with military purposes in view, and the grades had to be easy to permit the dragging of cannon over them, there are no pitches too steep to wheel down as you repeatedly find in an American mountain region. Some wheelmen maintain that it is actually easier to ascend an alpine grade with a bicycle than without one, that by throwing the weight forward on the handlebar they can walk up a mountain faster than the unencumbered pedestrian. One rider reports that in making a Swiss tour he found his tires so thin he did not dare use the brake, so he bought a pine log about four feet long and eight or ten inches thick, into which he drove a nail so that he could drag it behind the bicycle by means of a cord nine or ten feet long, attached to the saddle post. This drag he found a great saving of strength on the downgrades of three passes. Look out for the diligence in Switzerland. The driver thinks he owns the road, and seems to have a spite against all wheelmen. His whiplash is a more formidable weapon than any you can command, and it is the better part of valor to submit humbly to being crowded into the ditch. Italy. Duty. 42.60 lira, about $8.22 on each bicycle. As for Switzerland, members of the CTC get relief from paying this by securing a special cycle ticket from the secretary and members of the TCF enter by simply showing usual membership ticket, 
the photograph on it not being absolutely necessary, but advised by the TCF officials to guarantee identity. The Italian officials are the strictest of the continent in the matter of bicycles, and it is well to take precautions against trouble with them. No formality is required of the TCF members on leaving the country. Tourists who are not club members must deposit the duty, getting it back on departing. The leaden seal attached to the machine on entry should not be disturbed. Italian roads have, as a rule, good surface and poor grades. About Genoa, however, are some that are poor in every regard. From the Swiss passes to the Po, and thence to Venice or Florence, is good riding, and so it is for the greater part of the way to Rome. But on the Campania they deteriorate, and then the farther south of Rome one gets, the worse the roads. In July and August, Italian wheelmen rarely ride unless in the early morning or late afternoon, and tourists will find Italy decidedly hot in those months. The spring is far better, but the passes from Switzerland then have too much snow to be crossed with any comfort, and that beautiful first descent into Italy would be missed. So, on the whole, the autumn is the best time for a tour toward the Eternal City. In southern Italy, snow is so rare that touring might go on all through the winter. Austria-Hungary Duty on bicycles imported for sale, 25 florins, $12.06. Tourists deposit $10 at the custom house, refunded on departure. They are also required to swear to a declaration that the bicycle is not for sale, and that it is their intention to remain only temporarily in Austria. CTC members get free entry on presentation of membership ticket with photograph attached, but must get the special cycle permit at the frontier, which permit must be discharged at the custom house where the cyclist leaves the country. The roads are excellent, and the Tyrol is an especially attractive region for a tour. Germany. Duty, 24 marks for each 100 kilos, about 3 cents a pound. The bicycle's brought by tourists are by law classed as traveling effects and as such are exempt from duty when no doubt exists that the machines serve solely for the private and personal use of the tourist. It is rare that any trouble arises, but occasionally the duty is exacted on the Alsace-Lorraine frontier and it will then be returned only on condition that the cyclist leaves the country by the same custom house as that by which he entered. German roads are excellent, but not up to those of France on the whole. The roads in the Black Forest are to be particularly commended, adding much to the enjoyment of a region famous for its attractions. It does not get its name from being a continuous stretch of woodland, but from the dark, pine-covered mountains. Yet, though mountainous, it has many miles of fairly level road, besides coasts of fabulous length. This district is about 50 by 100 miles east and north of the Upper Rhine, and may be well entered by way of Baden-Baden, Strasbourg, Freiburg, or Schlafhausen. It is a region where midday heat is less oppressive than on lower levels. The scenery is fine, and the hotels are both good and reasonable. The Hartz Mountains are visited by foreign tourists, but are extolled by those who have entered them. They are said to have one coast 27 miles long that can be ridden without touching the feet to the pedals, yet with roadbed so good and slope so gentle that there is no danger of a spill. A favorite trip is from Rotterdam, or Amsterdam up the Rhine Valley to Switzerland. The prevailing winds blow up the river but are not considerable enough to make essential difference. Perhaps they would be more than offset by the slight advantage in sliding down with the stream. Denmark. Duty 10% ad valorem. The CTC announcement of customs arrangements says that, quote, 
No duty is ever levied in Denmark on tourist cycles, but on the contrary every possible facility is offered with a view to encourage cyclists to travel to Denmark." Unquote. On the other hand, the TCF book says, quote, Every traveler entering Denmark with his bicycle must have a lead seal put on his machine and pay the duty. Its return is made to him at the same custom house or in other custom houses by virtue of a special authorization. Unquote. The country has good roads, plenty of daylight in summer, and comfortable hotels in all large towns. If one can escape the frequent showers, he will have a pleasant trip there. Norway. Duty, 30 kroner, about $8.15. CTC members are exempt, the club being known to the Norwegian Customs Authorities as the, quote, International Touring Club for Cyclists, unquote. The TCF does not report any arrangement with Norway. Other tourists have the money refunded on departure in the usual way. The roads are kept in excellent repair. The surface is a mixture of clay and sand, more elastic than macadam, but very sticky after rain. Sweden. Duty 15% ad valorem. The CTC and TCF announcements as to the customs practice again differ. The CTC says, quote, Used cycles belonging to tourists are allowed to enter duty-free after examination by the customs, and on the signing in each case of a declaration by the owner to the effect that the machine is imported for his own use and not for sale. Unquote. The TCF says that the tourist must make a deposit of the duty, and that in estimating this, the packing, insurance, and freight charges are taken into account. When the cyclist enters Sweden by way of Stockholm, Malmo, Landskrona, Helsingborg, Stonestad, Charlottenburg, or Storlum, there are no special formalities to be observed. If, however, he enters by any other customs bureau, a letter will have to be addressed to the Director General of the Customs asking permission to enter. In order to have the deposit refunded in this case, the cyclist will have to leave the country by the port of entry. In other cases, the deposit will be refunded by the above-named custom houses. If the tourist remains more than 60 days, the deposit is forfeited. I have heard Scandinavia more highly extolled for bicycle touring than any other region in Europe. The length of the days, the coolness of the climate, the grandeur of much of the scenery, the hospitality, and the honesty of the people, the economy of expense, all are considerations presented for deciding the wheelman to visit the land of Norsemen. Russia. Duty, 12 rubles, gold. About $9.35. The CTC book says that cyclists must deposit the duty care being taken to state expressly that the money is being only deposited and that the machine will be re-exported. This deposit is returned on leaving the country, but as the deposit fund is kept totally distinct from the general fund in each custom house, the deposit cannot be returned unless there is enough money on hand for that particular purpose. Failing this, the chief of the custom house must apply to St. Petersburg, and months may elapse before he is in a position to repay the money. In such a case, the tourist should write, to the British or American consul at St. Petersburg, asking him to get the deposit refunded. The TCF book declares that instructions have been given by the Customs Department so that the formalities may be accomplished in an expeditious manner. That would certainly seem desirable. The fact is that Russia hampers the cyclist in a way that would be ludicrous were it not so annoying. For instance, the Russian cyclist must qualify himself for a permit to ride by passing an examination. He must carry two huge number plates so that he can be identified from either direction. 
he is liable to punishment if he rings his bell without need, and again to fine if he doesn't ring it when there is need, and nothing but a bell is allowed for a signal. Cyclists together must ride in single file, at least twelve feet apart, and there are other regulations like these said to prevail in St. Petersburg that must make a wheeling a burden to the native cyclists. Whether the foreigner is equally restricted, I don't know. But I heard of one man who said money wouldn't induce him to take a bicycle into Russia again. Spain. Duty. 70 pesetas per 100 kilos, about 6 cents a pound. This must be deposited unless the cyclist can give as bail a well-known merchant or a frontier forwarding agent who will be responsible for him. The CTC says the deposit will be refunded only at the same custom house. The TCF says it will be refunded at any custom house. To lessen the bother of many worrying formalities, it is wise to obtain the services of a commissioner on the frontier or an international custom house broker at the frontier towns of Hende or Cerbere. If a mistake is made in the declaration, the amount of duty will be forfeited and a fine imposed. The main roads of Spain are good as a rule, though it is not so good as those of France and Italy. The American is not likely to suffer any indignities because of his nationality, but if he fears them, let him pass as an Englishman. It is a dry country, the average annual rainfall at Madrid being nine inches against 45 in New York and Boston. Other Countries So few American cyclists are likely to tour in other European countries that numerous details about them need not be given. Some of the duties are Portugal, 27%, ad valorem. Cyclists can get deposit refunded at any frontier station. In some places, notably Lisbon, duty not enforced, and cycles enter free. Romania, $1.55 each, deposit refunded at any custom house. Turkey, 8% on entry, 2% on departure. Bulgaria, 14%, and 2% additional for the octroi, duty will be refunded at any frontier station. Greece, octroi of 40 cents and a duty of $2 will be refunded less $1 for expenses and a small supplement if the cyclist does not leave the country by the same custom house. Serbia, 8% ad valorem, plus 7% on amount of duty so levied. En route. In Great Britain, the law of the road requires you to keep to the left on meeting anything going in the opposite direction, to pass on the right anything going in the same direction. In France and generally elsewhere on the continent, the rule is, as in the United States, keep to the right and pass to the left. But I understand that in Bohemia, in some parts of Holland, and in a few Italian cities, the rule is, as in England, if you are on the wrong side, you can recover no damages in case of accident, but on the other hand are liable to pay them yourself. On meeting a led horse, go by on the side of the man in charge of him. Passing between two teams or bicycles is dangerous work, but the most dangerous thing of all is to cut close to a corner when you cannot see what may be coming around it. In Great Britain it is illegal to ride on any path set aside for foot passengers under any circumstances. In France such a path may be used when the road is undergoing repairs or for some other reason is impassable. Dangerous hills are marked in Great Britain and generally throughout Central Europe by warning signs put up by the touring clubs. The TCF alone has put up about 2,000 of these. Both in England and France, however, an excess of caution has frequently put them at the top of hills down which any fairly skillful rider can easily ride. After being fooled two or three times, the American rider, man or woman, will usually refuse to dismount till the reason for it is palpable. Ride with a handlebar high. 
You are there to see, not to scorch. Take care of your wheel. Its neglect may ruin your trip. Nowhere is the trite truth about the stitch in time saving nine more applicable than in bicycle touring. Note the first unusual click, jar, or creak, and locate the cause at once, if you can. Sometimes, after a long hunt, you will find the squeak is nothing more serious than a whim of the saddle spring, but then again, you will find it the sign of troubles that might become serious. On wet roads, the flying particles of mud work into the chain and tighten it, sometimes beyond the breaking point. So, when the chain gets to grinding and snapping, try loosening it a bit if you find it taut. Should the rivet of a link break, it can be temporarily mended with a bit of wire, well enough to get you to the next repair shop. If you lose a screwdriver or have none, a coin put in the slot of the screw and gripped by the wrench will often serve. A nut or bolt that has stuck can sometimes be started by warming it a little, sometimes by applying hot vinegar. Other means failing, get as much oil on it as you can and let it soak for a few hours. Keeping the bearings of your machine oiled. A drop of oil to each set of balls once every hundred miles is an easy rule to remember. Too much oil is almost as bad as too little, though to run dry balls is certainly bad enough. Better clean your wheel yourself, unless you send it to a bicycle shop for that purpose. The ordinary hostler or boots knows nothing about a bicycle, and is as likely as not to wash it down as he would a carriage. At a very few hotels, somebody will, without your order, clean your wheel in the hope for a fee, but usually it will not even be so much as wiped off if you arrive in the rain. If you care about the polish of the enamel, don't scrape dried mud off the frame. Soak it first with a damp sponge or cloth. If you want to give the chain a soak, you can buy a few cents worth of petroleum in any village. Find an old can, coil the chain in the bottom of it, just cover it with the petroleum, and the next morning the chain will be clean as a whistle but you would better oil the rivets before using it. After using the pedal mount a long time, constant trouble with loosening cranks led me to go back to the step mount. Whether the trouble stopped because of the change in mounting, or because I got a wheel with the cranks put on in the old way and the right way, I don't know. If the pedal mount does strain the machine, it is just as well to use the step when touring. Each to his taste in the matter of the day's work. My own preference on European roads when riding with men would be from 35 to 45 miles a day, with women 20 to 35 miles a day. One goes abroad chiefly for the pleasures of travel, not for the benefits of physical work, which though useful should be subsidiary, to my mind. Yet many Americans whiz through Europe at the rate of from 50 to 70 miles a day, and say they like it. My own vote would go for 8 miles an hour as the average speed, day in and day out, but if anybody wants to make it 10, the roads won't stop him from doing it. The man who isn't used to exercise before breakfast would be rash to start in on it at the outset of a tour where bad dyspepsia or a physical collapse would mean so much disappointment. All the hygienists say that any work directly after eating is dangerous, but slow riding is not hard enough work to make a long rest essential after the usual continental morning or midday meal. He who makes long distances can't avoid riding in the middle of the day, but when the sun shines, he is sure to perspire then. Some men think they can accomplish the most and get the most enjoyment out of wheeling in the late afternoon, but for my part I like to get to a hotel in time to rest and clean up comfortably before dinner time. There is great pleasure in wheeling in the long, cool English twilights of midsummer. In the matter of wind, 
you will usually find the evenings the best for wheeling everywhere. The force of the wind reaches its maximum ordinarily about two in the afternoon, being then on an average about twice as strong as it is in the early morning. The luggage problem is one that the tourist always has with him, and that's the puzzle of it. One rule is to make a list of everything you think you must carry, and then leave out half of it. Every ounce counts. Some tourists carry absolutely nothing on their wheels, but have a bag meet them at every stopping place. One who was following this plan told me that in the morning he turned his bag over to the hotel porter with instructions to send it to such and such a place. At first, he gave the name of the hotel where he meant to pass the night, but some annoyance led him to have the bag sent to the station. On arrival, he sent the hotel porter for it, and averred that he got it regularly and speedily. The method is not costly, but I should be slow to point credence in its accuracy. And it has the out of making it necessary every morning to determine where one is to pass the night. Let a rainstorm start in at noon with your destination twenty or thirty miles away, and things are awkward if you are far from the railroad. But it certainly is a great comfort to have fresh clothes every evening, and a costume fit for theater or anything else. My own plan has been to meet the bag once a week, but next time, if any women were of the party, I should make it a trunk. A few tourists, mostly youths, take only what can be carried on the wheel. This is feasible, but robs travel of many of the comforts and luxuries that seem to most of us worth the having. The laundry feature of the method is the most perplexing. Could one invariably get washing done in a few hours? The plan might be simple but as a matter of fact that is not always practicable, and in some places the washerwomen insist on two days. Provision against the extreme of hunger and thirst can and should be carried. Chocolate is perhaps the most portable thing that will ward off the faintness of hunger. For thirst, I have found the acidulated candies a relief, such as are sold here under the name of lime fruit tablets. Similar candies can be bought in any of the European cities with the lime or lemon taste. Lemons themselves are to be had in about every town, and their juice is excellent in making tepid water palatable. In these days of microbe mania, it would be unfashionable not to advise against the promiscuous drinking of water, but nevertheless I will hazard the theory that a healthy person doing the physical work of a rational bicycle tour is not in a condition to fall a quick prey to the omnipresent bacillus. For my own part, I am reckless enough to drink anything that is drinkable. Cold water is a rarity on the road in England and France. He who well thinks that on a bicycle tour alcoholic beverages should not be used before dinner time, if at all, can in Great Britain buy ginger beer or ginger ale at every village grocery, and on the continent, he can get for a few cents at any cafe a bottle of aerated water, soda water, eau de seltz, or whatever you choose to call it. But let him not run away with the idea that aerating water makes it innocuous. The carbonic acid gas with which it is charged does not rob it of any of its impurities. And abroad, much less than with us, is it the custom to filter or boil or distill water that is to be charged. The notion that a dash of brandy in a glass of water robs it of its unwholesomeness is a fallacy. Soda fountains are rare in the big cities and unknown elsewhere, but one gets the same result, though less palatable, by calling for the eau de seltz and syrup, either mixing it to suit his taste or letting the waiter mix it before him. In Great Britain, if you call for lemonade, you will get bottled stuff that will make an American sad. But call for a lemon squash, 
and you will get the real article. In France, make your order citron au naturel, when you will probably get a lemon, a squeezer, the soda water siphon, and the sugar. One seldom rides a half hour without the chance to get wine or beer at some wayside inn or cafe, but neither of them quenches the bicyclist's thirst like sour drinks. Much drinking, much perspiration. Resolve every morning not to take to drink so early that day as you did the day before. Chewing a straw may help you resist the temptation. It provokes a flow of saliva and lessens the misery of intense thirst. To gratify at once the desire to get at the soda water siphon at the end of the day's work may serve a secondary purpose worth considering if you are not a steady patronizer of touring club hotels or if you have two or three of them to choose between. I am indebted to Mr. Stetson's narrative for the suggestion, and he appears to have made frequent and profitable use of the scheme in Switzerland and northern Italy. He and his friends would ride up to a good-looking café, and dismount as if they had no intention whatever of staying there, but had stopped for a drink. While circulating the siphon, they would casually ask the waiter if he had any rooms to let. Forthwith, the landlord or landlady would come out with the most alluring terms, fearing the party would ride away. Thus, they daily settled the matter of lodging without bother, embarrassment or haggling, and on the most thrifty basis possible. Once, by reason of rain, they arrived at an Italian hotel in the hotel omnibus from the station. The manager offered them miserable rooms at a price far above what they had been paying. They left the place in disgust and speedily found far better rooms at half the price. In Great Britain, no matter at what hour of the day or night the traveler asks for admission, the landlord, if he has accommodation to spare, must admit him. The only ground on which he is entitled to refuse to receive a traveler is that he is drunk and disorderly a person of notoriously bad character, or is suffering from an infectious disease. On the other hand, to come within the category of a traveler, the cyclist must have slept at least three miles from the inn on the previous night. If a cyclist be turned away from the doors of an inn or hotel for any other reason except lack of accommodation, he is entitled to bring an action for damages for any injury he may sustain by such a refusal. He must, however, be able to prove specific damage, either by illness to himself or injury to his machine consequent on the refusal. An innkeeper is liable to compensate the cyclist up to a maximum of $150 for a machine stolen or damaged, provided that it has been given into the charge of a servant of the inn. All these rules apply in an equal degree to the temperance hotel. Against these facts must be placed the section of the law which provides that in case a cyclist refuses or is unable to pay his bill, the landlord may detain his machine as security, and if, after six weeks, the account is still unsettled, he may sell it after advertising the intended sale in a London and a local newspaper. Out of the proceeds, he is entitled to the amount of the bill and the cost of the sale. Transportation of Bicycles by common agreement, the transatlantic steamship lines charge $2.50 for carrying a bicycle across. It is announced that the wheels must be crated, and perhaps in some lines the rule is always enforced. But the chances are that on the freight boats you can have your wheel taken across without crating it, if you so desire. One can save the cost of crating and the transportation fee as well, and at the same time guard the wheel perfectly against both rust and breakage, by taking it apart and packing it with excelsior or clothing in a large trunk, which will go free in the hold. If the wheel is not thus packed, whether it goes crated or not, 
the bright parts should be rubbed over with Vaseline to prevent rust. If you purpose wheeling as soon as you land, have the wheel brought on deck the day before you are to go ashore and get it into shape. You will have no better chance. If you are to return from the same port, your crate will be stored for you on the pier. In that case, it may be well to have the crate put together with screws instead of nails. Or you may have crate and all sent to a bicycle shop in Liverpool or Southampton, or wherever it may be. The charge will probably be a dollar for uncrating and putting the wheel in shape to ride, another dollar for crating when you return. Should you plan starting from London, it will be better not to uncrate on board the boat or at the landing port, but to have the wheel go with you in its crate. But if you land at Boulogne or Havre and plan to make the start from Paris, you may save some expense by getting rid of the crate before you take the train. A well-made crate with one side hinged and padlocked may serve for transportation of the bicycle by rail, or a wicker basket frame can be bought in England or France for from $5 to $10, or for $25 you may buy a bicycle trunk, a huge clumsy affair that the tourist in a hurry will shun. With trunk, basket, or crate, the handlebar must be removed, and ordinarily the pedals and saddle. This means a distressing waste of time in replacing and adjustment. In England, the usual railway charge for carrying a bicycle is 12 cents for a distance not exceeding 12 miles, 25 miles, 18 cents, 50 miles, 24 cents, 75 miles, 36 cents, 100 miles, 48 cents, and then 12 cents more for every 50 miles. This often makes the cost for short distances half as much as the third-class passenger fare, and is an outrage of the same quality as that found in the more benighted of the American states. France has taken the lead of the world in this matter of justice to bicyclists and benefit to the railway treasuries, for to carry bicycles free redounds to the financial advantage of the railway in the long run. By ministerial decree, no French railway can make any charge for uncreated bicycles accompanied by the owner except a fee of two cents for registration, i.e., what we call checking, the only difference being that one gets a paper slip instead of a brass tag. I understand that in France, if your wheel is crated and you have other-than-hand luggage, all that is to go on the baggage car is weighed together, wheel included, and if the total is in excess of the 66 pounds free, you pay the excess baggage charge. If the wheel is sent unaccompanied, the usual freight or express tariffs apply. In Germany, the railway fee for bicycles is half a mark, 12 cents, no matter what the distance. They are not admitted on express trains. In Belgium, bicycles are carried as baggage, with the usual charges when not crated. If crated, they go at the rates of other merchandise. In Italy, the railroads will not be responsible for damage to bicycles not crated. As a rule, on the continent outside France and Germany, the customary baggage charges extend to bicycles. In Italy, the railroads will not be responsible for damage to bicycles not crated. In England, if the wheel goes at the company's risk, 25% is added to the fee when the owner accompanies the wheel. For forwarding an unaccompanied wheel, 33% more is charged. If it is to go at the company's risk, then if at the owner's risk. After you have paid the exorbitant cost of a bicycle ticket on an English railway and have turned over the wheel to the baggage man, he always acts a request for a tip for himself, and if you overlook it, is likely to hunt you up on the train and smilingly inform you that the wheel has been put on board safely. The railroad having swindled you, the porter is not likely to meet with a cheerful reception. 
you are under no obligation to tip him unless you see fit. In France, where the road charges nothing, the railway people seem to expect nothing, but perhaps the wheel will be put aboard with more care if you produce a few cents. Anyhow, both in France and England it is wiser to put the machine on the car with your own hands. At the end of the journey it is equally wise to get your wheel yourself as it is handed from the car. In England half the time you will get into the car and help yourself. American tourists who take their own wheels abroad will have no question raised at the custom house on their return, unless perchance they have taken an English wheel with them. In such rare cases it would be well to forestall objection by getting the wheel registered at the custom house before departure. A bicycle bought abroad can be brought in free only in case the owner has used it a year. So the law says, and perhaps it is enforced, but no case of it has come to my attention. The Canadian duties may bother somewhat a tourist going from the United States by one of the Canadian lines. LAW members avoid the payment of Canadian duties by complying with certain formalities, but I should think the easiest way would be to express the wheel in bond to the steamship. End of section 7